Second Samuel, if you will. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse one. This is after David has been king for some time, dwelling in the palace. I don't know that it was ever the Lord's plan for there to be a palace in Israel. Nevertheless, there was one because they got a king, and then that's where David lived. David says here, It came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, Verse 2, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. Cedar was one of the finest woods that they had to build with. And he's telling the prophet, Nathan, look at where I am. I'm in this palace, in this great house. But the ark of God dwelleth within curtains, or to use our term, in a tent. How am I supposed to be comfortable here in this awesome facility while I know that God is out there in His presence dwelling in a box among the elements where I don't even know what's happening with Him? Nathan says, verse 3, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Now, I, I, I got some more things to cover, so I'm not going to go spend too much time on this passage. But the Lord uh, told Nathan after this, Sure, I know he wants to build me a house. He wants to build a temple for me. But that's never been my pattern before. And I don't necessarily need it, but I know he wants to honor me with that. So I will allow that honoring to take place, but David's not going to be the one to build that. His son Solomon will be the one to build it. And just to kind of get ahead of myself a little bit, he does, he builds that temple, and then he builds it in Jerusalem. And if you know much of that history, that temple was built... And then it was evacuated and destroyed, and then it was rebuilt, and then it was evacuated and destroyed. And throughout the process of several hundreds and then thousands of years, that temple was in various states of construction, destruction, reconstruction. And I felt the Lord impress this on me. If you follow the circumstances and the conditions of the temple, you will get glimpses of the relationship between God and his people. The condition of the temple at the time is or was a reflection of their relationship and their standing with God. When things were right, the temple stood and it was beautiful, and the Lord honored it. The Lord put his presence there. But when the nation would turn away, God would decide, I don't have to live here. I don't have to stay here. 
You're not even acting really like you want me here. So I think I will just remove my presence and allow this temple to be destroyed. Why? Why would I do that? Because I want it to be an accurate reflection of you. Not me. I didn't need this thing to begin with. But I allowed it to be built as a, as a reflection of David, my man, and his descendants. Jump down to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 17. This is a little bit of what Solomon, the son of David, said at the time that this temple was first uh, reaching completion. He says, It was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. The next verse, and the Lord said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thine heart to build a house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. In other words, and and Solomon Solomon is standing in front of the whole nation, really, after the, this is really near the dedication of the temple, and he's reminding everybody, this structure behind me began in the heart of my father. Not because we were looking around and touring and deciding, oh, that that one's great. And you know what I like about this one? And maybe we could take some of this and some of that, blend it together, and hopefully the Lord will be happy with that. No, it started in the heart of David. And it was with the intention to honor the Lord. I believe that's why the Lord okayed it in the first place. The Lord wants to receive honor. He wants to receive glory from you and from me. From our lives. And if I decide, Lord, I want to do this thing because it's going to bring you glory. Not because it's going to bring me glory. It's going to make me look smart or awesome or put together. But it's for you. The Lord will honor that. He He will give place to allow himself to be honored. Everybody say David. The idea for the temple for the Lord came from the heart of someone who wanted to honor the Lord. Keeping his temple should be a desire of ours to honor the Lord, not out of an obligation and certainly not done with dread. I'll get back around to that in just a minute. Go to 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 8. We're going to jump through a few of the ancestry of David and Solomon. And uh, if, you, if you take the time to look, or you, I, might, I would encourage you to do what I did. Just Google a, an image of the kings 
of Israel, and you'll see the names. It was this one and this one and this one and this one. The kingdoms divided, and they had more kings over here and over here, and it went down and down and down. You get down to this name, Jehoiachin, who's way down at the bottom of the list. In fact, he's one of the last kings because of what takes place during his reign. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. And his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of that guy of Jerusalem. I say that guy and that girl sometimes because I don't want to try to pronounce those names. But Jehoiachin is the king. Next verse. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Now that father is not David and it's not Solomon. It's way down the list. But when the Bible says that he did evil, he did evil. He did the wrong thing. He didn't do God's thing. God's way. Next verse. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. Keep reading. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. Remember, this was supposed to be a representation of the temple, the thing that was going to bring honor to the Lord. But it has drifted so far away from its original condition and intention that the Lord is saying, I can't stick around for this any longer. I can't allow the desecration of my name. That's what, remember Solomon said, David wants to build this for the glory of the name of the Lord. I can't allow my name to continue to be desecrated in this manner, especially out in the open in front of not just my nation, but the whole world. I'm going to bring along a guy. If I was talking to my kids, I'd call him King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, and his servants. And you know what? I'm done here with my presence. They are going to take over for a while. Next verse, verse 12. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers. And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. Verse 13. Watch what King Nebuchadnezzar does. He carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord. Listen, when the enemy sees an opening into your life, he knows good things have been put here. The words of God have been sown into this life. They've received great things. They've spent times of worship and devotion. They've read, they've heard preaching. They've received all of this, this that would bring honor to the Lord. But now it's my turn to influence the situation. And the first thing I'm going to do as the enemy to this person is go and remove all of those things. Not make them sick. Not bring on some incurable disease. Not 
make them go bankrupt, not do any of these things. I'm going to go for the things of God that they have received in their life. I'm going to remove those things. Watch it. He carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said. That offends me. As someone who loves the Lord, as someone who sees the dedicated hard work of King Solomon and knows the meaning behind all of this, King Nebuchadnezzar goes and he just takes all these things, slice it in half, destroy it. Who Again, this is because Jehoiachin now is on the throne and he is not ruling according to God's way. What I see is, if I allow me, my flesh, to get on the throne of my life and rule, not according to God's way, I should expect this kind of thing to happen to me. The moment the enemy, the adversary, sees the weakness of humanity, he knows what to do with it. Besiege it. That's the word he used here. Take over. Overthrow it. Topple it. That's what took place. Now, I'm going to jump a little further into time because Nebuchadnezzar also took all of these Israelites, put them in captivity, took them out of Jerusalem. They're not even living there anymore in, in God's holy city. I want to I tell you a quick story. I'm going to pause for a second. Uh, some of you probably heard me say this before, but, you know, Facebook gives you these reminders of a year ago on this day or two years or three years or ten years ago depending on how long you've been around the Facebook world. I remember a season of my life where I was seeing the Caleb from three years ago, four years ago, just from the simple things that I would post and share on Facebook. And they, I'm not telling you to go preach on Facebook. I don't really try to do that myself. But I would share thoughts or scriptures or things like that just as the Lord would give them to me and I would share them. And three years later, I'm looking going, who is that guy? That guy was close to the Lord. That guy was spending time in his word. That guy was understanding things that this current guy seems to have completely forgotten. I don't want that to be the story of my life that I was great and then I came to ruin. That I did have the Lord on the throne and then I decided I'll take it from here. All the special things you've done for me that I've received over time, they just get more and more decrepit. That's what happened to Israel. The Lord took them from a place of closeness, relationship, establishing His presence in the midst of them 
to completely removing it and getting them not even living there anymore. Now, if you're like me, you can probably look back at different seasons of your life and say, that was a good season. I was close to God then. I heard from him. I spent a lot of time with him. And Lord, help us if we look at the current season and it contrasts to say, I don't know where I used to get all that time to spend with God. I don't know how I used to hear his voice so clearly. And now it's like I'm living across the country. It's like I'm living in exile. I'm no longer close to him the way I used to be. Things start to change in the spiritual climate of that day while they are in exile. There's this man by the name of Cyrus. Why don't you turn there? We'll read it quickly. Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, the Lord had sent his prophet Jeremiah to say, You're in exile, you're not going to stay in exile. There's going to reach a time where you're coming back. This is so that that prophecy could be fulfilled. The Lord started to stir the heart of the king of Persia. Persia at this time, one of the greatest empires on the whole planet. And this guy, all of a sudden, is starting to think about that little nation, that little tribe of Israel. Why? Because the Lord put it in his heart. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me... Cyrus was not a good guy. Okay, He wasn't one of these prophets. He wasn't one of these godly kings. He was as earthly as earthly gets. But he says, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Persia is nowhere near, and the reign of Cyrus, where his palace is, is nowhere near Jerusalem. The Lord says, it's my time to restore. Cyrus, why don't you go build me a house? In fact, if you go look, I still got the remains of where I had a house. Let's go back and rebuild that. Go back to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. I think that sounds like where I want to live. Verse 3. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. 
Can you imagine that? You're, you're stuck in this place of exile. You're stuck in this place that feels like bondage. And then the head guy comes up and says, anybody want to go back where you came from and start worshiping your Lord again? Did he just say what I think he said? It sounded like he said, we get to go home and do what we know God wants us to do. They get up, they go. Out of exile, back into Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm trying to condense this story the best I can and just give you the highlights here. But I'm reminding you, the spiritual, the, the condition of the temple is a reflection of the spiritual relationship that God's people have with him. God is saying, I'm ready to restore this relationship. Sometimes you can, you can take a person who looks as ungodly, seems as ungodly as possible, and the Lord starts to say, hey, buddy, turn around. I want to have a relationship. I want to get your attention. I want you to live right. I want you to live pleasing. Come and start worshiping me. We, we think somebody's just got to have it terrible and hit rock bottom and then decide to turn to God. That is sometimes the, the truth for a certain person, but that's not the way God designed it. He doesn't say, I'm God, I'm great, I'll be here, go experience all the terrible stuff so you can find out how great I am. Come back to me when you're done and tired of all that stuff. No. God forbid. How many people have walked away from the Lord pursuing things that they think are just temporary? I'm just going to go out and dine for a little bit, and Lord, I'll come back to you. And they never do. They never get the chance. They expire completely. So I'm not saying go and spend time elsewhere and come back to God when you're good, when you're ready. And the Lord knows that. That's why he's out there saying, let me get your attention. Let me talk to you. Let me draw you into my presence and share my word with you. My plan for your life. They get back to Jerusalem. They start to set up the temple again. This is a, this is a pretty common uh, verse. I, wanna, I want you to see this. Go to Ezra chapter 3. Let's go to verse 12. Ezra chapter 3, verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted for joy. So a lot of this generation, this is their first time to get to see the temple being built. And they just see... All right, the fulfillment of God. But those that cause ancient men, those that had been around for a while and saw and remembered, they weren't shouting for joy. They were weeping out of 
memory. They were remembering the former and saying, that's the condition it used to be. That's the relationship with God we used to have. And look how far away from him we have come. It's a reminder. I'm just, I, I, I feel the Lord wanting to tell us, examine. I need to examine the condition that I'm in. Now we find ourselves here, and, and they start to rebuild, and he, now we're going to introduce this thing called, I'll call it spiritual climate. Because people, the others that lived in that area had gotten used to there not being a temple. They, they also remembered when there was a temple and when God had his people here, they drove us all out. They kicked us out. God wouldn't let us dwell with them. Their word, word starts to spread and they realize it's going to come back. And we introduced this thing called the spiritual climate because now there are hindrances to the work that God wants to have done. The hindrance in this instance is the neighbors, the surrounding areas. Here's what they do. Again, I'm trying to condense this. I'd love to keep you here for four hours and read all this, but we're not going to. They tell the governor of their city, if these people start to build and successfully complete the temple and return back to the way they used to be, that's going to hurt your pocketbook. They're not going to pay tribute. Uh, take it from us. We were around back, and our families, our ancestors were around back when they were the happening thing, and we know that when they get going, they don't listen to anybody. They don't obey you. And then they're going to kick us out because their God is the God. Now, they spoke that language of money, and apparently it got through because the governor writes a letter back to the emperor who has changed by this point. It's no longer Cyrus, that guy we read about. And they said, Dear Emperor, please don't let them build this. Go back into the history books and look, and you'll see this is not going to go well for us. He gets it, he reads it, he says, okay, pause, stop. And they leave off building the temple because they're told to. Spiritual climate. The, the word of that day to them was, go and build, then stop. Lord, what's going on here? You, you, you exiled us for, for, all, for these decades of time. Now you tell us to come back. And now that we're here, you tell us to stop again. Two years they stopped until another new emperor came back. And they're saying, please let us rebuild. Please let us rebuild. They send a letter. The word gets there. The Lord inspires him to go back into his history book. He sees that Cyprus had written down all these commands. He says, okay, go, build. I can just imagine with the hammer, I'm like, are you sure? I'm about to he really hit this thing. All right, are we going to go? And they rebuild it. The temple gets rebuilt. And we see through this process, 
hindrance and word to go. And hindrance and word to go. Adversary and partner. First Corinthians chapter six. I'm almost done. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19. We're jumping into the New Testament now. Because I'm not just trying to give you a history lesson, and the Lord doesn't just want us to know what Jerusalem went through. He wants us to know how it applies to us today. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? We've been talking a little bit about the temple today. And I'm going to remind you once again, the condition of the temple is a reflection of the relationship with God. If it's all in ruins, now, and I, I'm talking about the spiritual condition, okay? I'm not saying go brush your teeth, necessarily. But I'm talking about your spiritual condition. If I'm looking inside me and I see ruin, I see falling apart, I see decrepit. Yeah, it used to be there and it, it was great before, but it's just slipped and gotten worse and worse and worse then how can I not realize that is a reflection of my relationship with the Lord? What I feel the Lord is wanting to do is, if it's necessary, start the restoration project. Look around you and, and learn. I can build this up. I can take some time into myself and say, I can do this better. I can change this about me. I can spend time in the Word. I, I told you I'm almost done, and I am. But when Solomon was first building the temple, one of the first things that he does, we, remember David said, I'm in this house of cedar. There was no cedar in Israel. That was the neighboring town over. So Solomon writes a letter to the king of that town. We want to build, and we need help. We want to build, we need help. You have things that will help us. Hear me. That is one of the most difficult things for me to do when I'm talking about the spiritual condition of myself. Yeah, I want to rebuild. I want to get better. I want to do things right. Well, Go ask so-and-so how they did it. No! Why would I do that? They've got some materials that you don't possess. I don't need that. No, you don't. You can stay like you are. But if you want to rebuild, if you want to progress and restore, you're going to have to ask for some help. You're going to have to let people help. We're, what we're doing is we're, we're examining our own weakness. And I can respond one of two ways. Psh, 
Close that. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to even admit that I'm weak, that I need help. I don't, I'll just keep trying on my own. Or the other option is, you're right. I know that weakness of mine. I know that I could use help. I see my brother that's not struggling with this thing the way that I seem to be. How? How is he? What can he or she share with me? What can I receive that I need in order to be restored? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You can stand with me. I'm coming to a close. You only have that temple because God is allowing you to have it. If it was not God's will, you would not be in that temple to begin with. You, you didn't speak yourself into existence, and you're not holding yourself alive through your own power. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost in you. Verse 20 says, For you are bought with a price. You are not your own any longer because somebody bought you. They paid for you. They purchased you. Now, therefore, glorify God in your body. In your temple. So what I said earlier, to glorify. To glorify God. If that's what I know, if that's what I understand, I've got to be the living example. I've got to be the living proof, the living manifestation of God in my body and my spirit which are God's. I was praying before service today. I prayed something I don't think I've really ever prayed the way that I said it. And it's like the Lord stopped me and said, did you hear what you just said? Because oftentimes, I'll just be honest with you, especially before a service like this, I'm, in, in my spirit, I'm just, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please. Would you please do this? Would you please be here with us? Would you please do something? Would you please speak to us? And that's my posture. Today I prayed, Lord, we manifest your spirit here. And then I said, wait, what? We do? And the Lord said, yes, you do. Because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost is allowed to operate through you, where you go, you do manifest that presence. That's a lot different than, oh, would you please do something? Okay. Here's the reason why. Because I'm not convinced of myself. The reasons why, we won't get into that today. There are many and they vary from person to person. But if I'm not convinced that the Lord is going to manifest himself through me 
then my approach to him will be, will you please? It would be great if you did. I think you should. I'm hoping you do. Versus, I am and you will. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you will manifest yourself through me. I'm going to open this altar. I want to give you a chance to pray. Now, what I feel in the Holy Ghost is, I said it, the Lord wants to do some restoring. He wants to do a restoration work inside of us to rebuild, to examine the conditions, to take inventory of what I have and what I don't have, what I need, what others can provide, what He can provide. Would you pray that with me? Come on, find a place to pray. Spend some time, if you would, just be honest with the Lord. God, you know me. You know all that there is about me, Lord. Everything about me, God, is open to you. For you created me to begin with, Lord. You put this person here, God. And you would choose to work with me and work in me and work through me. Father, I pray, let the condition of this temple be right. God, let the condition of this temple be holy. Let it be something that your presence dwells in. God, something that you would take, Lord, and that you would work through where you would live in. Jesus, my heart longs for you. My heart longs to please you, Jesus. I want to build a throne, God, for you to reign in my life. God, I want you and you alone to reign over my life, Jesus. God, I take inventory right now, Lord, of myself. I'm honest with you, God, about my weaknesses. I'm honest with you about my needs, oh God. And I'm trusting you. I'm asking, God, that you would speak to me and illuminate, God, what needs to be done. God, I'm, I'm open to you. I'm willing to receive the instruction that you give. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Talk to the Lord. Come on. Talk to the Lord. Let yourself be open to him. The work that he wants to do in you.
we go today, I've, I want to share this with you because I feel, feel this in the Holy Ghost, that there are several here who are either in the middle of or about to be approached with critical decisions for your lives. And that decision's not the same for, me, for each person. We're all in different phases of life. But the, I feel just the, uh, the pressing of the weight of a decision and the circumstances surrounding that decision. I, I don't need to be any more specific than that. But I, I'd like us to pray together for the instruction of the Lord. Amen. If I, if I do like I'm saying today and I say this is His temple and He's in charge and it's His vessel and all those things, then I'm going to let Him give instruction. I'm going to let Him make a decision. Not, not on my own. I'm not going to sit here and weigh a list of pros and cons and try to come up with the best outcome. No, I want it to be the Lord's decision. Would you close your eyes with me and pray? Father, we seek you right now to order our steps. We seek you, Father, to order our path. God, I really want you to be the Lord in my life. I really want you to be the one in charge, God, and setting the direction. Jesus, I submit myself to you for your instruction, for your direction, Lord. I don't want to make a decision on my own, God. I don't want to do something without you, God, without your counsel, without your wisdom. In the name of Jesus, come on, this prayer needs to be prayed right now. This prayer needs to be prayed. In the name of Jesus, I seek you, Father. I seek you, Lord God. I seek your direction, Jesus. God, you know the answers already. God, you know the end from the beginning and exactly as it needs to be done. Lord, I pray it right now in Jesus' name. Direct these steps, God. Direct these steps, O oh God. Bring clarity of mind, I pray. Bring the witness of your Spirit, Jesus. The witness of your Spirit, I pray. We submit to you, Father, to your leading and to your timing. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I give you my future, Lord, and I trust you with it. God, I put it in your hands. I put it in your hands, Lord Jesus, for you to unfold, for you to orchestrate. God, for you to lead the details. God, I leave it in your hands. I want to follow your leading. I want to follow your leading, oh God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. By show of hands, if you have ever sought godly counsel for a job situation, would you raise your hand? Good. If you have ever sought godly counsel for a 
uh, romantic slash marital slash dating situation, would you raise your hand? That's a lot of us. Good. If you have ever sought, if you've ever sought godly counsel about a living situation, a house, an apartment, would you raise your hand? Good. That's most of us. Why am I doing this? I guess we need the reminder that we know how to make decisions. Right? Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed. And greet one another in Jesus' name.